Romans 5, 1-11. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proving character and proving character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for all that you've done, accomplished, completed for us in Christ. And now, God, that Jesus lives to work in us, to save us. Lord, that we might live in union with you, being brought into conformity to you through the power of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. Thank you, Father, for your work on our behalf, for your faithfulness. And God, we pray that again you would just speak to us, speak to our our souls, our spirits, that we might hear you completely in the depths of our inner man. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. It's nice to be back. Patsy and I had a wonderful time together up in Squim, Washington, which um, is up in Washington, northern part of Washington, <laughs> near Canada. Um, really nice time. It only rained just a couple little times lightly, and most of the time was um, very, very cool, I even saw locals walking around with gloves on, um, so not like Texas weather at all. But we had, had a great time. Appreciate David Loyola from RGBI and Jerry Benjamin um, standing in for me. Well, this is, again, a passage of Scripture. It's probably my favorite, or at least among uh, the favorites in the book of Romans. And we saw a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago now, we just got started with this passage where we see that, that because Christ has been raised from the dead, and again, His resurrection is the proof that we have been justified. And if we, should, if we never question the resurrection of Jesus, neither should we ever question our justification. Because the, our, the resurrection of Christ is the proof in history that we have been justified. Everything that God wanted to accomplish for us, He accomplished through the death of Christ. It was a finished work. We've been reconciled to God, justified to God, put, peace, put it right with God, peace with God. Um, everything is based upon the death of Jesus Christ. His resurrection is because it was all complete. And if Christ has been raised from the dead, then we know that we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ have been justified. Having been justified, Paul says three things in this verse that flow out of that in this passage here. One is we can exalt in the prospect of what the future brings. We have hope. 
Hope not that maybe this life will get better tomorrow or the next year. But even though we may not know what's going to happen the next day, we know what will happen the last day. And that is that we will receive what we do not deserve, the glory of God. We will all be transformed in His likeness. We shall behold Him and we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him just as He is. That is true for all of us. No matter how much we may feel that we fall short today, we may feel like that God's work is not being accomplished in our lives. God is saying here in the first verse, we have peace with God. Therefore, in the second verse, we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. We know God will bring us into glory. And we know we shall be fully glorified, brought fully into conformity with who Jesus is and all that he is. So it raises the question, begs the question, well, Charlie, I can accept that about the future. One day I will be in heaven and I will be like Jesus. But what about now? And and all the stuff that I go through. Man, I look at all the trials and tribulations of my life and it sure doesn't seem like God is favorable toward me. It seems like God is always upset with me, that I'm always under God's, God's discipline or God's, even God's condemnation. I don't seem to live in the liberty and the fullness of a loving God that I've been put at peace with. And Paul says, I'm glad you raised that issue. Verse 3, and not only this, not only concerning the future, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Right now, the present trials. Remember that word exalt. Sometimes it's it's translated, we glory. Sometimes it's translated, we rejoice. Sometimes it's translated, we boast. All of those things carry the idea here. Paul says, when we think about our tribulations, and Paul had a lot of them. Go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Man, it's just go unbelievable that one person could go through all that Paul went through. And he says, we exult in our tribulations. Well, he's he's a masochist. He just likes pain. That's not what's happening here. If if there is no way that we can truly exult, boast in, glory in, rejoice in our tribulations, if there is any even a hint that our tribulations are because God is angry with us, and he is punishing us for our sin. Paul is saying, Jesus died for all our sin. All sin Jesus paid for. All sin was placed on to Jesus. And he has put us right with God. We have been reconciled to God. We have peace with God. All our sin has been paid for. Past, present, and future. So when God deals with me, He cannot be punishing me for sin which Jesus took the punishment for. That's what Scripture is saying. And because every aspect of my sin, Jesus paid the penalty. God cannot remain just and punish me for sin which has already been paid for. He can't do it. Therefore, Paul says, when I think about my tribulations, 
I can rejoice. Because whatever the cause of those tribulations may be, one thing I know they are not. One thing I know is not the cause. And it is not God working to get even with me because of what I've done. In fact, he's going to say it is God working in me. Look at the rest of the verse. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. James will say in the first chapter of James, Remember, consider it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Paul will write to the Thessalonians and say, In all things give thanks. He'll write to the Ephesians and say, For all things give thanks. How can you say that? Because the trials are not God punishing us for our sins. It is God working in us to bring us into conformity to the very character and likeness of Jesus. And so Paul says, I can say thank you. Because it's not my God punishing me for my sin. It is my God working in me to bring me into greater likeness with Jesus. We may be suffering because of our own sin, because we are reaping the consequences of what we have done. We may be suffering because of the sins of others. We may be suffering because we simply live in a fallen world. But we are not suffering because God is punishing us for our sin. He can not. Jesus paid for it all. Amen? And it's, all, it's as though Paul's going, why should I, if this is true, and it is, why should I go through life moaning over what the other causes are? I've been so stupid. I can't believe I've done that again. This person, when is he going to stop sinning against me? Paul says, why look at all that? Because the big thing would be if God is punishing me for my sin and he's not. And having settled that, whether I'm suffering because of my sin or I'm suffering because of another person's sin, I know that whatever the tribulation is, God is working in me. He is using the tribulation to bring me into conformity with Christ. All of it. Because he says later in Romans, all things... God works together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purpose. All of it. So whether it's suffering because of somebody else's choices or because of my choices or simply because I live in a fallen world, I can exalt in that suffering because God is using that suffering to bring me into the greater likeness of Christ. Specifically, perseverance, character, and hope are being formed in us. You know, I, I know that, that key to that happening is an attitude of, that Paul's expressing here of joy. We exalt. An attitude of giving thanks. We all know in our own personal experience, and we've seen it in the experience of people all around us, that a lack of thankfulness in suffering will merely produce bitterness. Paul is not bitter 
in his sufferings. But, we, but it seems to me that even a bitter person, there is still a seasoning in that person's life that has taken place through suffering that is not in the life of a person who has not suffered. And it, there is a greater maturity. Maybe I don't, I don't like the bitterness in myself or in anyone else. But still, there, there is a, a, a more realness, a, a, more, a greater honesty about life and its problems and the need to just live soberly in any person who has suffered rather than in a person who has not. Suffering is good for us. Some have said, one old writer from, I think, back in the 18th, 19th century said that God cannot make a saint without suffering. And we look around in our experience as Christians, and without a doubt, the finest people we've ever met are the people who have suffered the most and turned to Christ in the suffering. I had a friend that used to play football for University of Tennessee, and the coach was harder on him than any person on the team. And for a long time, he thought it was just his imagination. But as season after season went on, he played all four years for the University of Tennessee. And every year, he was treated more harshly than any other person on the team. He knew it was no longer his imagination. Coach just had it out for him. And so one day, he was walking by the coach, just, just he and the coach. And the coach looked at him and said, you don't like me a whole lot, do you? And the player looked at his coach and said, well, coach, it seems to me the feeling's mutual. And the coach says, let me let you in on something. He says, I'm harder on you than any guy on this team. And the player said, just like I thought. (laughs) And it's because, the coach said, you're the only guy on the team that I think has prospects for professional football. That's why I'm so hard on you. In the last season that guy played for that coach, he says the coach never let up on him. And all that trial became something that he embraced with a whole heart. Because he understood the coach is not, doesn't have it out for me. The coach is wanting my best. He is trying to work something in me. He is doing this for my good. Therefore, the coach is not my enemy. He's my friend. He has my best interest in mind. It's a matter of perspective. Is God against me? See, that's what it comes down to. Is God against me? Or is God for me? And if there's anything Scripture affirms, our God is for us. He is for us. And so then as he develops this, I love what he's saying. It all, it's all woven together in this thought that we can rejoice in our tribulations. First, because God is working in us. Perseverance, proving character, hope. And it's a kind of hope that, that with this perseverance and the character that God forms in my life, I, I look at God and I, can, and I don't have to, to wonder about God, but I can grow in increased hope 
toward God. God is for me. God is not against me. My confidence in God increases. When the next trial comes along, I can say, God, it's too much. It seems overwhelming. But I can look at the track record and know that you've been faithful. Know that you've worked every single trial for good. And I can rejoice in this one as well because I know that you're good. I can have hope in every trial. And then when it says, and that hope does not disappoint, another translation is, you will not be put to shame when you put your hope in Christ. That it is not a hope which will end up embarrassing you. Thinking, what a fool I was to trust in God in the midst of my trial. You will not be disappointed. You will not be embarrassed or put to shame when you put your hope in Him in the midst of trial. And then he continues, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. So first he says God is working in us, and now he says in keeping with his love for us. In keeping with his love for us, he permits us to suffer. It is not because he has something against us. It is because he is for us. He knows we need the trials. In keeping with his love for us, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit has been given to the believer. He resides in the believer. And if there's one ministry of the Holy Spirit, and there are many, one of those chief ministries is to, is to constantly be orienting us to God's love for us. I think that one of the simplest ways that this is demonstrated in our lives is how, how readily the new believer calls upon God as Father and how alien that is for a person who is not truly saved. If they ha- it's almost like they have to make themselves say, Father. Whereas for the true child of God, it is the most natural thing in the world to say, Father. Because the love of God has been poured out upon our, through, in our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And then he continues. And listen, it's like he's saying, listen to me. God's love has been poured out to us through the Holy Spirit. Think about the demonstration of God's love before you were ever saved. And his point's going to be, if you can prove, Paul's gonna, it's like Paul saying, if I can prove to you that God loved you before you were ever saved, then you should have no question that the trials and tribulations that you are suffering now are out of the context of God's love for you. You should never doubt God's love. If God loved you before you were saved, He loves you all the more now. And look what He says. Before you were ever saved, He's going back here to to verse 6. While we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Two characteristics of us before we were saved. Helpless and ungodly. And Christ died for us. Then he continues. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, third characteristic of us, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, fourth characteristic of us before we were saved, 
We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Four things were true of us before we were ever Christians. We were ungodly, we were helpless, we were sinners, and we were enemies. And God demonstrates his love by giving his son to die for us. Now, as I was reading through that again, and it's just amazing how you can read through the word hundreds of times and still see something you've never seen before. And it never occurred to me until this last time reading through God's word where it says in verse 8, but God demonstrates. It's got an S on it, not a D. You would expect that it would be a D. God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But it doesn't say past tense, God demonstrated his love, but present tense, God is demonstrating his love to us through the death of Jesus Christ in the past. So this day, God continues to speak to me as boldly and clearly as he can, that he loves me because he gave his son for me. It's not just a message in the past. And so many times I've asked and just complained to God and, I've, and I hear other Christians say the same. Why doesn't God prove himself to me today? Why doesn't God make me know today that he loves me? And he would orient us right back to the cross. And he says, I am today demonstrating my love for you. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a present demonstration, a present proof. And I love you. If Jesus, the Son of God, suffered and died, then by what stretch of the imagination would my suffering be a statement that God does not love me? Jesus was loved by his Father, and he suffered and died. And the cross is God's perpetual demonstration of his love for us. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now then, if when I was a sinner and helpless and ungodly and an enemy, God loved me. Much more than, verse 9. And that's where you wish there was exclamation points in the original, but there's not. But this would be a place where Paul would have put exclamation point after exclamation point. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So the tribulation that we are going through is not the wrath of God. If I wasn't going to, if God did not pour his wrath out on me before I was saved, He will never pour his wrath out on me after I'm saved. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The death of Jesus did it all. Justified me, reconciled me, set me right with God made me forgiven, then why does he live? He lives to save us. 
Every day, Jesus lives to bring me along in his saving grace. And one of the means that he uses to save me is trial. Man, I'm, you know, I'm hard to live with even with trials. If I didn't have any trials, I'd be a real stinker. And so would you. Just think how, how God in his wisdom has used the various things that we've gone through and are going through to humble us, to make us more meek and gentle. That's why as we get older, we get more mellow. It's because we've gotten the stuffing beaten out of us over the years. <laughs> you know, you just don't have as much fight left in you. And that's not a bad place to be. <laughs> it's, it's, we become, typically people become sweeter as they get older. At least Christians. Because they're learning. It's a lot easier to cry uncle than to just keep fighting. And in the trial, saying, Lord, thank you. We turned on the TV last night and watched that program, World's Strictest Parents. And, um, you know, I've only seen just, I think that was really the first whole episode I've seen. And Patsy and the kids have told me almost every time it's a Christian household. And they bring in these, these hard-to-manage kids and put them in a Christian home for a week. World's strictest parents, Christians. And, and this Christian mom, you know, they just small farm, very modest means, and they put these two teenage kids to work. And they're not working them any harder, and they work their own daughter, and they themselves work as a mom and dad. And they're just working them. And, and the mom said, you know, you can work with, or the dad did, you can work with a bad attitude or you can work with a good attitude, but you're still going to have to work. The work's not going to go away. So change your attitude. And, and again, the trials are not going to go away. But I can cry uncle in my heart a lot earlier and just say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. I may have brought this trial on. Somebody else may have brought this trial on. But I know that you mean it for good. Thank you. And you live. You live, Jesus, to save me. So much in Scripture about this. In fact, Major Ian Thomas, the founder of Torchbearers, I think this was his favorite verse. This in Galatians 2.20. He loved this verse. Jesus lives. He is alive today and he lives to save me. And I need to be saved. Again, I know I'm saved. I know my sins are forgiven. I know that when I die, I go to be with the Lord. I know that as surely as I know Jesus was raised from the dead. But I know this day, I need Jesus' saving grace. And I can every day say, Jesus, today, save me from me. One of the sermons that was preached in Acts, Peter says, he sent his son to deliver us from our own wicked ways. And that's how he defines salvation. I need to be delivered today from my wicked ways, from my wicked heart. And Jesus lives to save me. If he, if he was sufficient to die for me and to pay for my sin, and he is risen from the dead, surely he is sufficient today for my sin. And I can turn to him. 
I wrote in the front of my Bible to quote by Oswald Chambers, Beware of worshiping Jesus as the Son of God and professing your faith in Him as Savior of the world while you blaspheme Him by the complete evidence in your daily life that He is powerless to do anything in and through you. He is not just the Savior who died for me 2,000 years ago. He is the Savior who lives today to save me. And He is able today for me with my flesh, my sin, to save me. Thank you, Jesus. How does he do that? I hand myself to him. Lord Jesus, you've got to be God. You've got to be who you are. I cannot deliver myself from the smallest sin. I need God to set me free. And you are God. You are alive, you live, and you live to save me. Thank you. Now, having said these two things, really, there's only two things he's been saying so far in this paragraph. We can exult in the hope of the glory of God. And secondly, we can exult in our tribulations. Those two things being true, then naturally it brings us to the third and final thing, verse 11. And not only this, but we also exult in God, in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is not our dread. He is our delight. And I, I don't want to be too familiar with God and, and, and to make it just sound like I can just crawl up on His lap anytime I want to. And, but, because I, there's a reverence and a holiness of God that we have to continue to appreciate. But I know that God, as awesome and fearsome and majestic as He is, He is not my dread. He is my delight. And I can say this because God has put me right with him through Jesus Christ. God reckons me saved, as we saw over and over again in chapter 4. God says, you have peace with me. God says, I do not relate to you according to your sin. I relate to you according to my son. God says that I have taken my son and, made, and, and, and he became sin that you might become the righteousness of God in him. God says, I will keep you blameless until the day of Christ Jesus. And all that being true, I can come before the majestic, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God without dread and rejoice in him, glory in him, boast in him. Exalt in Him. Because God loves me. Because God has set me right. And God is not against me. We exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now, not in the future, now received the reconciliation. I am this day right with God. And it's not because of what I'm doing, but it's because of what Jesus has done. And having received that reconciliation, put right with God, man alive, I can come into God's presence. And He welcomes me. Amazing. And I can be in His presence and delight in Him and know that He delights in me. Awesome stuff. Let me close us in prayer. 
We thank you again for these truths, God, that you have made so plain. Thank you that by your spirit, Lord, you have written them upon our hearts. And I thank you, God, that all we have to do is give our amen in gratitude and acceptance just to yield to you and say, so be it. It is. And just to receive, God. You've done it. You've written it on our hearts. You've shed these things and brought in our heart through the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. And God, I pray that we would just simply live in who you are, what you've done. And that we would reckon, God, on these things as you do toward us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And all that this life is and holds, you're in control. You love us. You will bring us into your glory. And you are using these things to bring us into the greater likeness with Christ. But above all, God, we thank you that we can come before you and be received, to be loved, embraced, welcomed. Thank you that you delight in us. And I pray that we might increasingly find our delight in you. In Jesus' name.